Japanese newspapers grabbed the international spotlight last summer with the police raid on the Marion County Record newspaper. While that story still rumbles along, new concerns have emerged. Kansas Public Television saw its funding threatened after a state senator took offense, and media outlets across the country have faced a challenging economic and political landscape. Welcome to the Kansas Reflector Podcast. I'm opinion editor Clay Wirestone, and with me today to talk about all of these subjects and more, we're glad to welcome Emily Bradbury, the executive director of the Kansas Press Association, and Max Couch, a media lawyer from Lawrence. Both of you, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So let's just start with the softest of softball questions. Tell uh, us who you are and a little bit about what you do. Um, well, my name is Max Couch, and I have my media law practice in, in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, focus on, on constitutional-related issues. I'm also the hotline attorney for the Kansas Press Association and the Kansas Association of Broadcasters, and I'm also the president of the Kansas Coalition for Open Government. And so, in other words, when newspapers or websites or whomever have a legal question, you're the guy. I, I field questions from folks like that every time, every uh, every now and then. Yes. Yes. And Emily. Yes. Um, again, Emily Bradbury, Kansas Press Association. I'm the executive director, so I do a little bit of everything. But we represent both print and online publications. Um, we're one of the oldest associations in Kansas. We've been around since 1863. And while working for our members, we are also hosts of the Sunflower State Spelling Bee for children, um, the Kansas Civics Games for high schoolers, and then we also put on conventions and contests for our members, as well as lobbying for them at the Kansas State House. And we also take pride in the fact that not only we um, lobby for our members, but we also lobby for the general public on transparency issues. Great. Um, and Max, that's also something that you kind of work on a little bit with the co- the, the coalition. Right? Uh, from a behind-the-scenes standpoint, uh, there, there are times when um, folks will ask me questions as, as far as um, how the legislature might look at, at an issue. I wouldn't call that lobbying so much as education. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you've, writ- and you've written for the reflector some about that with uh, legislative transparency. So... Uh, just again, a, a kind of a, a broad question, but I'm really curious to know what comes to your minds uh, with this topic. Just talking about the news media in general in Kansas right now, print, uh, you know, online, TV, you know, what would you say the situation is like uh, here in February of 2024? Well, um, the, the I think one of the main problems that we that we uh, experienced as an industry in February 2024 in Kansas is that um, the Marion raid took place in August of 2023, August 11th, and there is a, so that's um, that's been you know quite a few months now, and so um, certainly law enforcement has every right and and the public expectation to conduct an investigation and, and to do whatever is necessary to to uh, establish probable cause and to gather evidence um, to, 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 to formulate charges. And, and purportedly, that's, that's what's happening. Um, however, it seems to me that at this point, it's been several months, um, why hasn't there an announcement been made about, uh, about charges? Who, who is being charged or who is, who is being investigated and who might be charged? Uh, it's not even clear if there is a... It's not even clear exactly who is being investigated. 
we don't have a, a good understanding of, of why no such announcement has been made. And until we get clarity uh, that, the, that the things that the reporters did to verify publicly available information, um, it, we, we, have to, we have to know, uh, have to be assured by the government that the things that, those, that the, the people did for the Marion County Record, those journalists, what they did, uh, did not break the law. And, and until that announcement is made, you know, I just, I don't know how a journalist can't have um, some, some level of a chilling effect on what they do. Well, and I can also tell you, I mean, I can tell you both just from the correspondence that I receive, every few weeks I receive, get an email from someone saying, so what's going on in Marion? What's going on with Marion? And my answer is usually, well, I, I wish I could tell you. I, I wish I knew more. Um, but Emily, uh, kind of the, the high-level question for you, too. What, what do you see the, the state of things as in the Kansas press right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, our industry is in a state of transition, right? We've got, you know, the media or the um, online <laughs> um, internet, um, social media platforms that essentially steal the content <laughs> without paying our members for that. It's been a real struggle. I mean, that that part is really, really tough. And then when you combine that with a 36% increase in postal rates over the last three years, that is a lot um, and the service has declined with those postal rates. So we've got papers out there that are struggling and having to raise subscription prices, not because that they want to make more money, but because they have to pay the post office to deliver their product. But our readership is high. 86% of Kansans look at a paper, whether online or in their hands. So the readership is there. It's just there are these external factors that are really putting pressure on the industry, which, again, just makes it more and more relevant to support local because those papers support their communities and they cover their communities unlike any other medium out there. So, Emily, just to give us some perspective on this, and I know I've, I've called you at various points to ask about this. You know, give us an, an idea of the numbers. How many newspapers, roughly speaking, are in Kansas and how many counties? Sure, absolutely. So we have 190 papers. That's both print and online. Mm -hmm. um, every single county has a newspaper that covers it. The only one that is not based in a county is Elk County, but it is served by its neighboring paper, the Prairie Star, and has been served well by them for years. So when you hear all about these news deserts that are happening around the nation, Kansas has been so lucky we have been so lucky. We don't have a true news desert in Kansas. So our, our communities and our papers are out there. They're supporting each other. But there's just a lot of external factors that are putting pressure on the industry. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we, we've already talked about Marion. Um, I, in the introduction, I mentioned a little bit about the public television funding situation. That funding was, was restored on, uh, third, on Wednesday, uh, it appears. What kind of threats to the free press, and this is kind of separate from the economic uh, situation, but what kind of threats do you see the news media in Kansas really facing now? What are, what's, what's most serious? Max? Well, I, I think one of the problems is, is just been trickling down from the national discourse, which is a misunderstanding about what the First Amendment is. Um, the extent to which uh, I think that some people believe the First Amendment amounts to a get-out-of-jail-free card. Um, you know, also the extent to which some people think that the 
uh, that the First Amendment doesn't exist and, and, and then speech can just can be censored because it is disagreed with. And I just and I really think that there's just a, a dearth of understanding um, about the distinction between what is protected speech and what is not protected speech. And the incident involving the PBS funding is, is a classic example of that because there is, regardless of the opinions that are expressed, in that documentary, they are reasonable. They are reasonably related to the facts, i.e., the passage of, uh, of, a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a law that defines man and woman. Um, so it's it's uh, this is a law that has been passed uh, that makes it uh, subject to public discussion. Um, that means that uh, opinions about governmental matters, um, you know, some opinions are going to be unfavorable. That's the nature of opinions. And for the, uh, for the legislator to claim that, uh, that, that, the, that the production of these opinions um, amounts to speech that, uh, that needs to be hit with a hammer is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, just suggests a very um, a misunderstanding of what free speech is. Um, in order to be able to um, justify the kind of thing that, that she was suggesting. I mean, the very first thing to ask yourself would be, is this speech protected? And, um, and certainly some speech is, is not protected. For example, true threats, you know, true threats uh, on the internet. Um, you know, if someone, there's a, a recent United States Supreme Court case um, where, the, where, the, where, the def, where the defendant in a criminal case who's charged with online harassment um, and, and argued that, oh, this is just my First Amendment right to communicate with this person. And the court found, uh, you know, under the circumstances in that case, that that communication amounted to true threats. Mm-hmm. So a true threat, um, that also came to, that, that it was originally defined in a case that had to do with burning a cross um, in a, in a, in a, by the KKK. And KKK argued, similarly, well, hey, we're just exercising our First Amendment rights. No, it constitutes a true threat that's not protected under the First Amendment. And, and so the, the misunderstanding then is, is drawing a false equivalence between the, uh, a true threat and expressing a, a legitimate opinion about, uh, about a government action. And, and for that government actor who was responsible in some part for the passage of that bill to, to then try to swing a hammer for someone who criticizes against someone who's criticizing uh, who's criticizing the government action is um, is is an infringement on the First Amendment. Um, Emily, what what do you, what do you see? Sure. Um, I mean, and, and I mean, I think more broadly speaking, right? It's there's an educational component to this. Like, what do newspaper? What does the news media do? What is commentary? You know, all all of these questions. Right. Absolutely. You know, news literacy is important to us. Um, a lot of people ask me, well, why do you sponsor the Kansas Civics Games? Why do you sponsor the Spelling Bee? And I said, we have a vested interest in an engaged readership. Like, we want our readers engaged, right? And they're more likely to be engaged if they're readers of their local publication. And so that's why we do this. We know what happens when a newspaper goes away. Uh, bonds go up 11%. Fewer people, people run for mayor. So, but it's really interesting when I'm out in the community and we talked about a little bit about kind of on the coast what's happening and all this talk about journalism is dying and and Clay, you referred to this in, in one of your pieces, which was great, was that 
That's not Kansas. That may be on the coast, but that's not Kansas. And when I go out to these communities and they talk about the mainstream media, mainstream media and I say, oh, well, what about your paper? Well, that's not the mainstream media. That's no, he's at my, you know, child's games covering him. Love him, love my publication, you know. So there's a difference, right? Because proximity breeds empathy. So mm-hmm. they're they're seeing these people at their community events. They know what they're they see them at their city council meetings, board of education meetings. And so I often tell audiences, I don't have time to go to a city council meeting or a board of education meeting. Your person is there, your local publisher or reporter is there doing that work, and we know what happens when that person goes away. And so you need to support them and also making people realize that the media, these small town papers, radio stations, TV stations, they're also small businesses. Mm-hmm. So if you value your development in your communities and local community ownership, you will support that local business because at the end of the day, it's another small business in your community. Well, and that it's, you know, and it's it's part of a, a larger system. Right. A, a, a larger system that hopefully informs, you know, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, right. and that, you know, as the, you know, all of these things work together. And right. I mean, which is part of part of what you do. Right. And I was and I would say that as far as that network of things working together to, to inform everyone in the lack of news deserts, I think one really important component that the legislature has, you know, decided what was important in this state, you know, decades ago was to create this process where there would be official newspapers for each of these each of the public bodies. And so that you know that connects uh, that that makes a mutual investment in the you know the small business, which is also happens to be the news media, the First Amendment and the government, all working together, um, you know, to have that forum for the publication of public notices, which, you know, can not only does it help the government, but in many, many instances uh, we're talking about things like service of process. Uh, by publication, you know, people couldn't get cases going, divorce cases, for example. Um, sometimes, if they do, if they don't know where the the the, if the party's absconded or something, um, so there's the the importance of this network. I mean, it's the kind of thing that binds together the legal system, because not every case is going to be a clean case. You know, some cases are going to rely on that notice by publication in order to connect the dots, and. Um, and you know it's a, and it is a great thing that the legislature has. You know, I've been back and forth in that over because there's a, there's a there's a contrary perspective, which is that well, by making the official newspaper, do you put the government and the free press then hand in hand, and then how mm-hmm. and then how is that going to work out? And uh, but I think that but I think as we've seen now how it's played out is that the balance is in favor that that actually works because there is still an ethical um, a, a wall that is cre- that is still built between even the official newspaper and and that and the government that they cover um, to the you know enough to foster the industry all of these decades and and then and then can, and then result in not having news deserts where uh, you know as a, someone who also practices in Nebraska there isn't the official newspaper set up in the statutes and there are news deserts mm-hmm. correlation Sure. So we are now, uh, again, being in February uh, of any year in Kansas, it means that the state legislature is going to be meeting, for better or worse. Uh, You know, people can decide which one of those it is. But um, we do have legislators coming here to Topeka most days. Uh, What are some of the bills that both of you are tracking, um, talking about, trying to, to educate people on? Um, 
Why don't, uh, Emily, why don't you go first? Sure, absolutely. Um, I will just cover a few. Max is much more <laughs> versed on these issues. Uh, and as far as testimony and, and our reasoning behind that, um, I would say probably our number one bill has been CORA cost containment. Um, that is the Kansas Open Records Act. There, there has been some problems with <laughs> municipalities or units of government charging um, and there's a bit of a gray area on what they can charge. And so we are coming, um, it's not our bill, but we are in support of 2599 that puts a cap on what people and government entities can charge. Um, and then also there's a few other bills, um, Senate Bill 375, which talks about um, AI, which we came alongside of our partners in the broadcasters, um, which I do wanna point out, we are partners on most issues um, in the state. So we really value their partnership on these bills. We're, they're fighting for transparency just as much as we are. And we come along, came alongside of them to talk about AI. And we completely see a need for regulation around that issue. And so, but we also wanted to make sure, and it's part of what Allison and I do, is we want to make sure that our journalists don't get caught up in this that it can't be used against a free press. So we were able to get some language change and they were the committee was very receptive to those changes. Um, because what I have found a lot of times is that when we educate legislators about a bill, a lot of times it comes from a good place. And it's really, we just need to educate them on, okay, here's the thing. And like what I'd like to tell legislators about transparency is most of the time it protects the public, but it also protects the public servant right? The public may not like the decision, but they can respect that there was a process and that you were transparent about it. So explaining to them that it's not just for journalists and the public, it's also for you. It's also for the perception of how you are doing in your role and trying to promote transparency as much as possible while still um, maintaining protections for our journalists so they can do their jobs. Sure. Well, let's see. Following up on the uh, on on the cost containment bill, so the the key there is that it would um, it would establish a, a minimum hourly rate. Um, so because the the key in the legislature is always to balance stat, is to balance all these competing interests, and so uh, the, the legislature originally had it had had a term in there or had a provision in the Kansas Open Records Act to allow for st st the cost of staff time to be recovered by the agencies. Um, but you know, it's interesting when the when bills start getting written, and, and you look at things a little closer, and you start to wonder, is that really what it says? Um, and so, I think there are some arguments that can be made about uh, how staff time is applied, regardless to to uh, anything that has to do with this bill, um, or that what led to this bill specifically. Um, but the bill would solve these would, would solve these problems. And, you know, the pushback has to do with, um, you know, has to do with public agencies that, you know, and again, I try to see it from their point of view. Um, there's a lot of commercial requesters. This is an oil and gas state. Um, there can be a lot of bulk requests for, uh, you know, for deeds and such and, uh, and proof of mineral deposits and this sorts of thing. And so, you know, so I get it. And so, uh, and so I think the bill does a, a, a great job of, of uh, curtailing the abuse of the statute while also allowing the public agency to still be able to recover um, some of the time. And, and you know, and ultimately the agency, has, I think, just has to accept that as part of being a public servant, you know, some of those taxpayer dollars are going to go to informing the public. And so, you know, if we can get all get to the point where we agree that, that there's some money that can be recovered and 
I think we're headed there. I think that I think that bill really helps get to that point. And then lastly, in a in a in an article that was cut that was published in the Re in the Reflector uh, last week um, about the Kansas Corporations Commission, the Kansas Corporation Commission's attempt to amend the Kansas Open Meetings Act, um, the goal there would um, would be just to. Um, I actually don't want to mischaracterize the bill, but what because I believe there is. I believe what the proponents would say is that um, there are additional procedural safeguards that are put into the bill that would counteract uh, removing the open meetings requirement from the bill. I'm pretty confident that's what would, what would be said. And, and I think my counter to that is you know, city commissions, rural water districts, county commissions, school boards. I mean, how, how is it that all of these bodies, large and small, you know, discussing issues um, uh, uh, both mundane and hyper important. Uh, how, how does the Open Meetings Act work for them and not for you? Uh, that, how can you demonstrate the interest that you have that makes you so different from all of these other bodies? Um, how, what, you know, there's ability to recess into executive session if you follow certain, certain rules. Um, you know, it really sounds like an organizational and staff problem if there's so much deliberation happening before the meeting that it just ends up to be de facto a voting session. Um, that's not serving the public. Um, and no, no change in the law is going to help the public in, in that instance. What's going to help the public is for the body to, um, to comply with applicable law and to um, conduct itself accordingly. Well, and I think it's just one of the things traditionally, if, in, if anybody's been a journalist for any period of time or adjacent to journalist, journalists, you know, there's always a reason that a public official can say that open records requests or transparency requests are burdensome. Mm -hmm. there, there always is, uh, you know, there's always something. There's always some reason about why it's, it's burdensome or troublesome or, or why... It takes up too much time, but ultimately you have you have to say like these these laws are there for a reason. And I think the best way to push back against a categorical assertion that something is burdensome is that it isn't about a categorical assertion. It's mm -hmm. about a balance of rights. It's sure there's going to be a burden. You have to accept that there will be a burden. But the question is, does the the assumption of that burden is that worth doing? And you know when it comes to uh, the availability of public records in an elected democracy, you know, the air, it just, we just have to err on the side of transparency. Well, and, and, and again, it's, it's one of those things where, and I think, Max, this is why you're so important. I mean, I know you're not going to say this, but why I think you're so important in Kansas to, to news organizations is that, you know, it takes a certain amount of gumption to go up against government bodies to ask for information like this and to say, no, the law is on our side. And, you know, you have, I mean, that's something that you provide, <laughs> which, well, is, uh, which is very useful. Well, thank you, Clay. Thank you. <laughs> um, so now just just turning a bit, um, and Emily, you talked a little bit about this with, the, with um, talking about social media, talking about mail rates. You know, we are facing... A tumultuous time uh, in the news news business. There's a lot of um, economic um, kind of challenges. How? I, I guess the the question is really, how do you think um, outlets in Kansas are are handling those? What is what are you seeing? Sure, they're handling them very well. 
um, there, especially in the smaller communities, you know, because what we found, especially during the pandemic, is that, you know, as we saw it kind of work its way, the virus work its way from east to west, it seemed like <laughs> when I watched my members, it was no one was reporting on Greeley County on how the COVID virus was impacting that county more than those local radio stations and newspapers. I mean, you couldn't get it anywhere else. I mean, they were getting mm-hmm. the numbers. They were the ones telling their community, here's how it goes. Here's here's how it's affecting us. So in so many communities in Kansas, their local publication is the only one focusing on that community 24-7. Yeah. And I think people realize that. I think where the struggle comes in is when we are also dealing with the rural migration to more populated areas. So that, but that's nothing that um, every economic developer in these smaller towns is facing. But they are doing it well, and we are seeing second career journalists coming back. You know, mm-hmm. working in economic development. We have one publisher in Northwest Kansas that left her economic development job to buy the Greeley County Republican, <laughs> and she's amazing mm-hmm. because she believed in that paper. And so, and what they did and how it held that was a cornerstone of that community. Well, and that's the story of the Marion County record for that. that, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. So the public understands it. And like I said, the perception of, you know, what's going on on the coast and in certain other more populated areas in the nation is not what is happening in Kansas. But that does not mean that they don't need the support because, again, like, every other industry you know and every other business like things are tightening up a bit and so with the postal rates and the cost of printing going up but we've got the eyeballs and so Mm -hmm. that's what i want to make very clear is that people are reading our publications at a very very high rate journalism in kansas is not dying in fact it's thriving and so that's wonderful to see and to work for our members is just a great privilege well, and I mean, this is something that I repeatedly tell people when I talk about being in journalism is that, you know, it's never been a problem in terms of the number of people looking at content. Right. Like, if anything, that number has continually increased, um, you know, thanks to also some of the things that cause problems by this at the same token. But, you know, people right. people read the content. Mm-hmm. The, the challenge is how you arrange a kind of a business model around that. Um, and, you know, and we're seeing, again, you know, I think, you know, we're seeing it in Kansas and a number of different kind of nonprofit approaches and, and whatnot. People people are, are hitting it in different directions. They are. And I think it's really important to understand, too, that a nonprofit model will work in certain areas and it will not work in others. And so, you know, all this research that is going on is so very helpful. And it's great to be able to go to our members and say, here, here's some revenue models that that have been studied. I mean, there are ongoing research um, at KU and nationwide that are studying papers in Kansas, trying new things. Mm-hmm. So we've got innovative publishers that are looking at new ways to do everything. And so it's really, it's an exciting time. While it's a mm-hmm. challenging time, it's still so exciting because we're, I mean, there's, there's governmental funding models that nonprofit partnered with foundations. And mm-hmm. there's just some really real innovation going on. And there are other papers where the traditional advertising based model works fine Mm -hmm. so you know it just it's really there's not a there's not a single silver bullet Um, it is completely cultural and specific to most communities well and i think that's the thing is that is when you see journalists that have traditionally been in bigger metro areas and you know we're you know kind of 
you know, making fun of the coasts a little bit here today, but really it's in a lot of, I think, the, the bigger metro places. There is a desire sometimes to say, I wanted the single thing that works, and I want to have everybody be able to use this single thing that works. And I just, I don't think, my impression is we're not necessarily at, at that point. Right. Um, you know, because again, as you say, uh, traditional ad stuff works. Uh, nonprofit might be work for some people, but I've also heard someone say, you know, nonprofit is a tax status. It's not a business model. <laughs> you <laughs> know, like there's, you still have to, you know, yes. you still have to support those publications. Yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So I guess kind of, again, to kind of fuse these two, these two things we're talking about um, in terms of uh, challenges for the press and the fact that we're in the, the legislative session, you know, are there ways you think that um, state government could um, could help local news media um, grow or thrive. What what are what are some of your guys' thoughts on that? Well, I mean, the easiest to do would be to to uh, would be to uh, avoid passing charter ordinances to uh, put public notices on on public agency websites. I mean, there the. The, the you know the Kansas legislature it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting thing because there's um, I think that Kansas like many you know any other place in in, in, in this our federalist uh, setup you know you're going to have the big government folks versus the local control folks and that's going to be one of those those things that really that that drives dis- discourse in in the legislature. And so as a result you end up with uh, an ability that's Fairly unique to Kansas, where opting where the where the law exists in, in a way that allows this mechanism to be used. You know, I haven't fully done the research, but I'm willing to bet it's a pretty unique scenario where where what's where what's ha- where it's possible to happen here. And, it, and it's frustrating because you know I I guess I guess you could I guess maybe the government would argue that it's the it's the um, it's the trade-off for having the official newspaper status. You know, if they're if the government deems there is no appropriate official newspaper, then they can do it themselves. Um, but the point here is that the readership. Well, there's no reason. There's no reason to take that step if you're a, a local government body because of the readership, because of the ingenuity of the of the publishers, because it's a, the the support of a local business, and most importantly, because in order to for for the, the for society to trust that things like service by publication is is happening and, and these really important things that happen as a result of legal notice this stuff has got to be done in a third party controlled venue and for the last 20 years we have kept up a website um, kansaspubliconotices.com which aggregates every public notice that is published by our papers on one website. So we already have the website um, that, that aggregates all of those public notices. So again, it meets that that transparency level of it's a third party. And you know, a lot of people understand that. I mean, a lot of local officials, so I don't wanna, wanna say that everyone's trying to do this because they're not as Max knows, but there are certain ones that look at their paper and they say, I want you to publish that because it covers me, like I mentioned before. It protects the public servant just as much as it protects the public. Uh, Max, Emily, thank you so much for coming by today. It It was great to talk. Thank you for being here. Thank you.